Hello and welcome to another episode of Bullet Points, the critical video game podcast where we talk about shooting games and shooting in games. I am today's de facto host, Patrick Lindsay. Ed Smith is still at large. Um, joining me today, as per usual, is uh, Reed McCarter. Hey, I, I like that you said uh, we talked about shooting games and then you clarified, so it's <laughs> so the implication isn't that we like talk about taking games to a rifle range and and just blasting holes in them. Which, admittedly, sounds like a heck of a lot of fun. That, that sounds like a vice article, sound... if you want to pitch that, you know? You know what? That Shooting yeah. shooting games would be, uh, yeah, we shot these shooters. That might be the best idea I have heard um, ever. And <laughs> we'll do a Kickstarter. It that, that genius idea that I'm actually really super jazzed to, uh, to take to various crowdfunding platforms comes to us courtesy of this week's very special guest, uh, freelance writer and uh, the man behind critical intel over Waypoint, Rob Rath. Hey, how's it, Waypoints? Waypoints, oh my god. Bullet points. Ah, <laughs> I'm not used to the new publication's right. name yet. I've, <laughs> I've been there like two months. I've actually never said it You're out like... loud until now. Uh, You're like the Hulk. You just kind of like, you walk away down a road with a piano music softly playing you off at the end of... Uh, every episode exactly so yes i'm yeah. i'm robert rath at waypoint high bullet points podcast <laughs> hello <laughs> we are very very pleased to have you with us this evening slash whenever it is that people are listening to this um today as we are recording this episode smack dab in the middle of december which if you are uh, an avid reader of bullet points monthly you will know is hitman month um, as such, today we're going to be discussing Hitman, the 2016 video game from uh, IO Interactive, I believe, mm-hmm. published by Square Enix. Mm-hmm. Um, a sort of sequel, sort of prequel, sort of reboot, sort of eh, um, that <laughs> tells the story of a famous eponymous assassin simply named 47. Uh, fun fact, his name is actually Tobias Reaper for some stupid reason. Um, that's one of the things you learn playing the first game. Anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the new iteration of the game, what it does, what it doesn't do, what we like, what we don't like. Um, and as per uh, tradition here at Bullet Points Headquarters, we're going to defer to our uh, our guest first with the very general, broad question. Rob, what did you think of Hitman? I, I liked Hitman overall. Uh, I had taken a break from the series since Silent Assassin, which remains one of my favorite game experiences of all time for a number of reasons, partially uh, just because of when I played it in my game-playing life. Uh, but I, I think it gets back to a lot of the things I liked about the series. Uh, I played a little bit of Blood Money and was was very turned off by the level of violence and kind of the... Uh, nihilistic 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 gray areas uh, sorry I've been breathing Hong Kong pollution for like a week <laughs> my, my voice doesn't work right uh, so I, I, I wasn't I was a little bit turned off by its sort of moral gray areas uh, particularly the end where you sort of kill this journalist for not really any reason other than the fact that he knows who you who you are um, so I I didn't particularly like Blood Money. I thought, uh, having not played Absolution, uh, the the trailers didn't make me really want to play it. Uh, so I sort of came back to this one fresh, having not seen any trailers, uh, really not knowing much about it. 
and I really was surprised how much I enjoyed it. Uh, I think the game has some design issues, but I really think they nailed a tone, which is sort of a James Bond striking at you know societal elites that are usually beyond justice, and I I just really really loved you know sneaking into a bioweapons lab beneath an Italian villa. Uh, in in that kind of sort of bizarre weirdo hitman sensibility, uh, which is the thing I like most about the series, and and I liked how sort of self consciously silly this game was without descending into self parody. Mm-hmm. What about you, Reed? Yeah, I I agree with uh, with a lot of what Rob was saying, especially about the tone of the game, which I think is is what makes it stand out for me. Um, I, I don't have a ton of experience with Hitman. You know, I, I think I played levels of, of the first few at friends' houses. Um, and I tried to get into Blood Money because I heard that was sort of the standout one from, from a few people. And it didn't really grab me. Uh, I played through Absolution uh, kind of the same way you slow down a car when there's a, an accident next, next to you. <laughs> um, which I think is, you know, not trying to be too hyperbolic, but I think is one of the uh, worst video games I've ever played in in terms of just everything about it. It's a really nasty, mean spirited video game uh, that is really just kind of haphazardly thrown together. It seems like and just mean anyway. Um, so this one, I was you know not super interested in what they were doing, um, but yeah, it was mostly just kind of word of mouth, hearing that this was different and that the uh, the model that they released it under where each episode was coming out probably a month or two apart um, it, that that seemed like kind of an interesting way to do something like a Hitman uh, to vary it up each time, each level um, so yeah, I kind of digressed but yeah, I like the I like the tone of this game a whole lot, which I'm sure we'll get into a bit more but um, what Rob was saying about it's it's doesn't take itself very seriously uh, it does a little bit in these cutscenes that you can pretty safely ignore, um, but the tone of the game as you're doing it is is very tongue in cheek, and it uh, I, I think it's it's it it wants you to laugh at the horrible ways you can kill people, and for a lot of reasons I, I found that very interesting and very entertaining. Yeah, I think that I diverge at least somewhat from from you two. There are definitely things I really like about this game, and again, it has to do with with theme and tone. Um, I sort of I, I appreciate the the sort of uh, that the types of targets that they have you killing and the stated reasons for them. I, I find it that the, they really put thought into like unlike previous Hitman games where you're just kind of killing you know a, a Russian general or like a vague nefarious businessman. Um, they really do a good job of stating, you know, here's these these are bad people, and this is why you're killing them. Um, which, in a, admittedly, in a game where you're a contract killer, you know, the the moral justifications of your actions don't necessarily seem like they would be top of mind. But the fact that they do it at all, I really appreciate. Now, the things I don't like about this game mainly fall to kind of mechanical mechanical concerns, and also just a uh, difference of opinion between me and the types of games that I like to play and this not necessarily being one of them so n- not necessarily faults of the game but it did contribute to my overall opinion um, I, I 
I don't know that I agree with the fact that it doesn't want itself taken seriously because there are a lot of things about this game that suggest that, but there are also a few things where it it does seem very self-serious. Um, one of the peak examples comes after your first mission, which is set at a Paris fashion show, um, mm. and you, you murder a man and his wife who both own a fashion company and also run a secret organization that buys and sells information um and in the style of the game after every contract you are treated to a sort of like 24 hours previously cutscene that kind of explains the setup for why you just murdered the people that you did and the line that i laughed out loud at was uh your your target hands the uh the sort of big bad guy a document full of corporate secrets and he says the pen is mightier than the sword and the the guy says, in my experience, the one who holds the sword decides who holds the pen. And I just, that was, I was, all right, okay, we're doing this. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there are definitely some very tongue-in-cheek moments, but I also think that it does struggle to imbue itself with some gravitas. And I think that that tension is probably one of the funniest things about this game. So, yeah. Yeah, actually... Oh, sorry, no Rob. Problem. I I disagree slightly, and I would I would say that that sort of those self serious uh, cutscenes sort of make the silly tone in in a little bit. Sort of they're the straight man to me. I don't know if that's intentional. It's probably not, but in some ways, to to me, that like these really these scenes that don't make any sense because half the time, you know. There are three secret organizations in this plot. <laughs> but no, four. And they don't, some of them they don't even tell you the name of until almost the end of the game. You know, there's the ICA, mm -hmm. which is, you know, the International Contracts Agency, uh, 47's employer. There's Iago, the secret spy ring by the, the oh, fashion yeah. show owners. There's the shadow client who is contracting the ICA to go after Iago and a bunch of these others. And then Providence, which is this, like they they show you it's all these cutscenes, yeah, Providence members without explaining who they are or where they're from or you know what their motive is, and they're the ones the shadow client is attacking Iago because Iago is also a part of Providence, and it just and remember like these episodes are coming out like a month or two apart. So, like, it's impossible to remember what happened in the last cutscene as you're watching the one from this month, you know? Uh, it's even in... I, I played the whole thing inside of a week, and I... <laughs> yeah. I was really trying to pay attention, because I knew we were doing a month on it, and I couldn't, I couldn't uh, keep track of who was who. I do think the fact that we had the benefit, at least uh, us, us Bullet Points boys did. Rob, I'm not sure if, if you played the game as it came out or later, but... We had the benefit of playing the whole thing in one sitting, and I think that not having done so would definitely make it a much different experience. Um, I do want to go spend some time on the tone, because I feel like that's one of the more noteworthy aspects of this game, and it's definitely a thing that all three of us have discussed. Um, tone can be hard when you're making a game about murder. Um, definitely leaves you with some interesting problems to try and solve. Um, and, yeah, let's Rob, let's, let's go back to you and... I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on tonally what makes this game or, or what breaks this game, either way. Yeah, so uh, I, I think it 
is very self-consciously kind of a James Bond game. In fact, I, I wrote a column for Zam when Critical Intel was there a few months ago. Uh, that's the that's the game business. When my column was at a different publication a few months ago, um, <laughs> I, I yep yep I, I wrote a column talking about how it's the best Bond game since Goldeneye, and uh, particularly I'm I'm currently in the middle of reading the Bond books. I decided that was my project for this year, as I was going to read the original Ian Fleming Bond books. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can wholly recommend doing that because the world has changed a lot. <laughs> um, but it, you know, this is it's very Bond. You know, like I said, you have Sapienza, which is this Italian villa, and there's a bioweapons lab beneath it, and uh, Hokkaido, where it's sort of the spa, surgical, you know, treatment facility in in the mountains of Japan, um, which I, I think. I think there actually is a bond which deals with Blofeld going and getting plastic surgery at some high-end resort. Um, but definitely, you know... I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you know, uh, Blofeld is always trying to topple the world from some ski resort in Switzerland, you know? So <laughs> there's definitely, like, this bond thing of this sort of high-end life uh, plus espionage, plus, you know, murder. And the bond of the books very much is like a government contract assassin. Like, he's a much nastier figure uh, than in the films. Uh, so I felt like that is is very much in line with a, a Bond movie or book. But also, it's sort of turned around and targeting 21st century class enemies, so the 1%, you know, some banker that steals a bunch of money and is hiding in a, a consulate where no one can get to him. Uh, or, you know, people who are selling secrets, one of whom is a Russian oligarch. And, uh, you know, this guy who literally buys the heart from some poor person in a slum mm-hmm. that's been illegally harvested to replace his own. Um, so it, it's sort of going after these enemies that, in the reality of life, like, we know these people are sort of immune to justice, and 47 is is the remedy of going after them. Uh, and I, I, I really like that version of it, because what, what turned me off about Blood Money is, you know, you're, at one point, you're, you're killing this poor journalist who's, who, whose only crime is that he's writing an article about you. <laughs> and uh, yeah. as a journalist, I'm not super comfortable with that. You know, as, as when I played it in college, I played it at someone else's house. That was a point where I didn't own, um, you know, I was I was a poor college student like a lot of people, and I, I didn't own a current console at the time um, or a PC that could play very good games. So I would play stuff kind of piecemeal at other people's houses when I visited uh, or other people's dorm rooms. And that was something that sort of turned me off a little bit about Blood Money. And also, because the 47 I knew was from Silent Assassin, who would, like, save a priest, and even though the priest knew who he was, mm-hmm. he'd be like, all right, have a nice life. I'm going to go disappear into the shady world of contract killing again. You know, I can't be saved, but you can. Bye. You know, he, he wasn't, like, quite the Punisher, you know, where that any contact with him would always lead to something really, really terrible happening to you, and you, you're probably dying. Um, and I that that disturbed me a little bit about Blood Money. And also... There was just something in a meta sense in how violent Blood Money was um, that turned me off. You know, there's that opera level that everyone always talks about. But, you know, you get this contract briefing and they're like, 
uh, there's this opera singer and also a U.S. diplomat, and they're both involved in a like child trafficking ring. And you're like, well, that sounds kind of weird and random. And you know, you you played a couple of these games. Not a single one of these games has gone by without the ICA being manipulated into a contract for bad reasons. And you're kind of like, mm. well, but are they really? You know, like I've I've played these games enough to be skeptical when the briefing tells me something. You know. Um, yeah. So, I I didn't like that tone in Blood Money, and this felt like it it fixed it. Essentially, I think the the notion of class in Hitman is really interesting, and, and almost playing Hitman uh, the the twenty sixteen game as a type of class catharsis. Um, we talked when we did a, our show on Mafia Three about how it's a very similar sort of thing. How Lincoln Clay killing clan members and uh, Italian mob members is very cathartic, not just for the character but for the player. You know, it's it's in in twenty sixteen. It is very important for people to be able to lash out even fictitiously against these sort of oppressive power structures, and I think Hitman does that for class. Um, I found actually playing the game depressing because these cutscenes, you see people who exist in a completely different world um, in terms of just money and affluence and power, um, but then you spend you know the next... 30 to 40 minutes meticulously not just killing them but meticulously plotting out their deaths in ways that are either embarrassing or hilarious or whatever um, and despite my frustrations just with the game mechanically I, I did really appreciate that aspect of it yeah um, yeah that's that's interesting because uh, well by the time this is this is up I think the entire month of bullet points articles will be just will be done spoil so. the shit out of it <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, but uh, Rob's article uh, touches a lot on on that issue of of kind of how this game portrays some level of class struggle, and that's actually Patrick what you wanted to write about at first too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is a big thing in in this game, and it is interesting. Um, I, I'm probably more on on Rob's side of finding those those cutscenes the balance between how serious I think I think they are taking themselves seriously and I don't think it matters because they are hilarious um, I think the balance between how those are presented and how the actual levels themselves play out where you know 47 can dress up as a vampire magician you know <laughs> or he can he does all these things I think I finished the last mission by dressing up as a yoga yoga instructor and and kicking this target off off a mountainside as a yoga instructor. Um, I'm not familiar with that pose, actually. <laughs> it actually did you did you do that one? No, I didn't. You dress up as a yoga instructor, and the target uh, is this woman, and she starts doing poses, and she gets closer and closer to the edge as you keep instructing her new poses, and then eventually you just kind of shove her, and she falls off. It's, this is a complete aside, but I really like the idea of like 47 preparing for that contract by like really feverishly studying up on yoga. He knows his poses. Yeah, he, he, you know. he, there's, there's a lot of great, you can get some great screenshots of 47 doing yoga in this uh, opportunity. <laughs> yeah. it, it, and he, he looks like such a jackass too in uh, his yoga pants and and everything. It, it kind of reminds me of um, what's that? What's that Hitchcock movie where 
the guy's trying to kill his wife and he's taking her picture in front of the Grand Canyon oh. and he keeps saying, no, get a little yeah. further back. You're not totally in the shot. Yeah. Just take two more steps back. You know, he's like walking her over the yeah. cliff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think actually, I mean, it's kind of a bit of, I don't know, following that train of thought, but I think it, part of what makes the tone of Hitman is it is that kind of thing where to me, a lot of the times it feels like 47 is almost like mugging for the camera. You know, mm-hmm. he's uh, every like, you know what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And the, the AI target is just this hapless, <clears throat> excuse me, it's just this hapless uh, object almost. Well, uh, in in the Paris mission, you literally mug for the camera. Yeah. When you dress up as, uh, as the model and, <laughs> and walk the catwalk. Um, and I, I think the game has a, a great sense of uh, sort of the possibilities of of violent sort of slapstick comedy um, of, of how you can kind of milk these moments and uh, make them all the funnier. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I kind of got sidetracked there, but uh, but yeah, I, I think that works very well, and I think the the balance between you get these cutscenes where everything is very slick and almost sort of Jason Bourne-ish where it's, mm-hmm. you know, fancy people meeting in these, uh, in these airport terminals and cat, uh, train cars going across the European countryside in their nice suits. Um, the difference between that and how the actual game plays out, uh, ties into this class thing in a really interesting way too. What is that interesting way, Reed? Um, I, well, I think there's just a balance between... Mm-hmm. Uh, God, I'm getting distracted all over the place. Uh, but just sort of the, the lack of refinement of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of how you do these things, how you you know knock someone over or poison their glass of champagne. Uh, and it's kind of madcap and three stooges and silly. And uh, in between, it's, it's supposed to be this serious spy thriller. Yeah, they do serious esp- espionage stuff, and then you, you know, blow them up with a rubber duck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exploding golf ball was one of my favorite ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, that is, I'm pretty sure that was actually, like, or very well could have been, like, a Three Stooges or a Marx Brothers thing. Like, one yeah. one thing I've, I find interesting, um, not, not to beat this horse to death, but... Um, one of the more common ways of infiltrating in Hitman is you 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 don the disguise of essentially service staff, cooks, delivery people, uh, butlers, what have you. Um, and Forty Seven is he's not an everyman. He's a very distinctive looking guy. <laughs> he's he's tall and imposing, and he's bald, and he's got a barcode tattooed on the back of his head. But like, it's like you change clothes, and all of a sudden, just nobody has any idea who you are. Um, even in in Paris, when you you don the disguise of the fashion model, who the joke is he looks exactly like you, um, people automatically as soon as you put the costume on, people start calling you uh, Mr. Kruger, Kruger. I think his name is Hel- Helmet Kruger. Helmet yeah. Kruger. Um, e- even like the makeup artist who does your makeup and is literally spending all of his time interacting with you, staring directly <laughs> at your face, sits doesn't down the figure chair. it out. Yeah. Um, and I think I mean part of that is just you know, gameisms, but part of it is like these people are more or less interchangeable to the the people who exist on the level that you're that you're murdering. And I thought that was kind of I don't know, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on that one, I think, because I just found it so amusing. To to me that's part of the sort of physical comedy 
of Hitman. And I, I think it's sort of lampshaded in the one of the opening cinematics where it has this, you know, flashback to all of the famous kills in the series. You know, and like, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's walking up to a big Yakuza figure, like, dressed like a sushi chef. And, you know, if you've been to Japan, particularly at, like, the really exclusive places the Yakuza tends to like to go to, like, you're not going to see some giant white guy, like, serving sushi by the counter, you know? <laughs> and, and to me, I, like, I would laugh out loud. You know, I'd, I'd choke out some poor gardener in Bangkok and throw him in a, or bellboy, you know, and throw him in a dumpster and, you know, put on his clothes. And, I mean, I'd laugh every time looking at him in these clothes and the idea that he's just going to like walk past you know, the other bellboys because you, you know I, I i live in hong kong i've been to thailand like you don't see giant white guys like in hotels in bangkok you know like it's and just the idea of it yeah. is so absurd and funny that to me it's part of the town and and something about the way too i i think there's something intentional about that because the way he walks and everything too you know he's he's dressed up as as i think why the yoga instructor outfit is so funny is because he's you know wearing these baggy yoga pants and everything and but he's walking with these straight back shoulders and this grimace on his face and you know it's i think inherently funny whenever he dresses up in one of these costumes my favorite um, are always when he wears the the outfits that require him to wear shorts <laughs> For some reason, yeah. he just yeah. looks hilarious in shorts. Exactly. He does not look like a man who should be wearing anything but long pants. Um, but yeah, I think I think what Patrick is saying, too, aside from the, the comedy aspect of it, it is interesting. Um, you know, you get dumped out of these cutscenes that are very shiny and flashy, and uh, 47 is usually, unless you unlock different things, by default, he's usually... Uh, pretty well dressed when he enters a place I think in Paris he's wearing a tuxedo uh, Sapienza mm-hmm. he's you know wearing he's wearing like a nice white shirt tucked into nice you know dress pants and cool sunglasses uh, so he does have this almost bondish thing of, of being uh, he looks like a very well to do traveler who's at these places um, sort of on the same level as these powerful people he's killing but the way that you actually get access to those people is, in a lot of cases, you become invisible by, by, like Patrick was saying, just becoming a surface person who won't be as, as scrutinized, who is more interchangeable uh, to other people. And, and yeah, I, don't, I, I do think the game is smart enough that that's not an accident, what's, what, that's, is, uh, what that's saying. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of this Marxist message of, like, the people that sustain the life of the 1% could turn on them at any time. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, exactly. Like when he's uh you know in the Moroccan embassy when he's the masseuse. I don't know if you guys did that assassination, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you dress up as the masseuse and this guy's complaining about how difficult uh his life is and he lies down and he's saying, "Oh, you know, just he's essentially ignoring you and just treating you like dirt." And you're giving him this massage, and you know that his life is in 47's hands, and you know you break his neck. Um, yeah, it is that that old uh, thing that I think most people identify with now, to to some extent. Of service people are not objects. You you shouldn't treat them as 
It's just kind of disposable, you know, people who do your bidding. They're not automatons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there is something, I think, kind of neat and subversive about that idea. Um, I think that tonally and thematically this game is is great for all the reasons we've been discussing. I think mechanically it's... I found it interesting, not always in a great way, especially given my experience with the earlier two Hitman games. Um, the series, as far as my knowledge of it goes, has evolved. The first Hitman game is pretty much a straight stealth game. Um, you're just kind of sneaking around. Your kills mainly involve either shooting people or garroting them or like slitting their throats. It's not until I think like Blood Money where it starts getting you start getting these weird, intricate, ornate like mousetrap style games that you well, I mean games in that like it's like setting up a game, and then this game really takes that to the next level with the like you're supposed to capital S supposed to make use of these opportunities to the point where they're in a menu and you can just select one and then kind of act it out. So it's mm-hmm. not so much a stealth game so much as it is a game about. Um, completing these various mousetraps. Um, that did not resonate with me very much at all, but I'm curious to get uh, your input on that. You being either of you. Uh, <laughs> Rob, why don't you go first? You're the guest. Uh, you know, so it, it did resonate with me, but I, I kind of have to put a little caveat in there in that uh, I the UI in parts of this game is very badly designed. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things being... I didn't realize that the track this opportunity button was actually a separate button. Uh, you have to like click the thumbstick down to get to it and turn it on. So I, I didn't know that that was an option. Um, so while I you know would wander around and say like an opportunity is revealing, um, you know you need to uh, get a waiter's uniform and you know steal the twenty-seven on. Uh, to put on the Rockstar's birthday cake, uh, you know, and then step by step. Now you have to bring the, you know, cake to- topper upstairs and put it on the cake, you know, and now wait until he's alone and having, you know, a pity party so that you can smother him in his birthday cake, which, by the way, was <laughs> was one of my favorites because at first I was like, is that really going to look like an accident? And then I thought like, oh, like <laughs> drugged out Rockstar passes out in his own birthday cake and smothers himself. Like I could totally see I that mean, being a new story. You yeah, know? we've <laughs> all been there. <laughs> but uh, um, it, it didn't like highlight in the world where the next place I needed to be was. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I, I had to do a lot more kind of exploration and improvisation. And uh, so I think that was mitigated a bit for me. But even then, I did feel like my hand was being held through a lot of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's actually really interesting that you got that experience because I think it you know, you can actually speak to the hypothetical way that this game could have played out. Um, whereas uh, on the PlayStation, at least, you just you click the the little touchpad thing uh, to track the opportunity, and then it's um, I don't know. I I don't mind the way that this works, but it is very rigid, and it's a lot of what Patrick talks about in his article. But uh, yeah, when you do get the opportunities tracking it is just kind of saying this is the waypoint you go to next um and and this is the step you do and it does feel like checking off boxes or as patrick put it just kind of like setting up the mousetrap um and and getting ready to spring it uh which i didn't mind entirely because uh 
I don't know, it sounds bad to say this, and I don't always think this way, but I don't mind a game kind of taking me by the hand and directing me toward what it wants me to see. Uh, sometimes I just end up feeling a bit paralyzed if if you say, do anything that you want, then I start thinking, well, you know, how true is that really in the context of a game that had to be designed to account for, you know, discrete or, mm-hmm. or finite mm-hmm. possibilities? Um, so for me, that stuff wasn't a big deal. I could see it rubbing a lot of people the wrong way, though, just how it's kind of baldly laid out it is. Um, that it, it's not a game that I think wants to give you the illusion that that these things are, are all your ideas. It's a game that I think very much is is happy to say, you know, there's maybe 16 different ways to kill this person, mm-hmm. and these are the ways you do it. I don't disagree with you, Reed. In fact, I actually agree with pretty much all of what you just said. I think the issue I have is that there's no middle ground. It's either you're chasing waypoints yeah. around, or if you choose to do it the conventional way, and you get like achievements or bonus points or whatever for doing it, like in just your suit, for example, they give you no help, and then it's it's then that's when I was faced with the whole analysis paralysis thing of like, all right, well, where am I supposed to go? Um, and my my biggest issue was every time I sort of stepped off the the track, things would go instantly wrong, mm-hmm. um, and I just found it very frustrating. Even sometimes within the uh, the scope of the track that they had you on, if you don't do things in the correct order or at the right time, they will go instantly wrong. And I and I I get that the games are very time sensitive and that certain things happen at certain times, and if you miss them, you miss them. But it kind of took me a while to to warm up to that. And by the time that I had sort of realized that I had my frustration had just grown to the point where I was just kind of done. Um, in the Marrakesh mission, one of the things you can do is because you're trying to assassinate a general who's essentially leading a military coup. And you can uh, disguise yourself as a soldier who's about to be executed. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the general comes in to kill him, you pop up and, you know, 47 him to death. Um, <laughs> and it just, it was, it was difficult in the way that good games shouldn't be, in a way that made me feel like it was just not designed properly or I was doing something wrong because it was like a question of a half second of me like I had a half second window to get this guy out of the chair and have me sit in the chair before the guy came into the room and saw me and everything went to hell Um, or if I'm like two pixels to the left um, in the wrong line of sight and then all of a sudden everyone's shooting at me and it it just seemed like that kind of twitch stealth that you haven't really seen since like the early 2000s that just drives me crazy Yeah, there's a lot of, I, you know, unfortunately did a lot of reloading, saving yeah. and reloading of, yes, uh, because it is a bit finicky. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's tough though, because what they've made is essentially these very, to me, it feels like these very intricate kind of dull houses where everything's mm-hmm. kind of running on a routine. And so it's going to be finicky because there are so many. You know, uh, to their credit, there's a lot of different stuff going on all the time uh, with yeah. the routines of these characters and and the way different items can come into play. Um, but yeah, it's it is easy to break that. I I found myself frustrated a lot with, you know, you drag a body somewhere and it almost seems like magical sometimes when they could notice you and and when right. they didn't. Yeah. 
The thing is, though, like when when you know exactly what you're supposed to do, um, actually kind of executing these these mouse traps is not difficult, and it is intensely mm-hmm. satisfying. Um, which is what made me believe that like I was just not only was I doing something wrong, I didn't really know what I was doing wrong or why it was causing things to to go belly up, and that's what that's what lost me. I, I think because I knew it's not a, a hard game from an execution standpoint, no pun intended. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of trial and error inherent in the gameplay, um, which can be a good thing and can be a bad thing. Uh, my <laughs> go-to example is that uh, I tried to do suit only uh, uh, sniper assassin on Bangkok because I had read and there there were times when I looked up partially because I wasn't tracking opportunities like that I would I would occasionally look up walkthroughs um, say like how, how do I do this like why why do I keep failing this and you know the danger of that is that you're watching someone do something a certain way and then you're trying to replicate it um, mm-hmm. yeah. you know like uh, there was one that was telling me oh the way that you get into uh, the masseuse disguise is wait until this guy walks out of the room and then you like throw a crowbar into the face or, or a wrench into the face of the security guard and then go and choke the masseuse out and you stash them both in the cupboard before the guy comes back to drink his water and I kept trying to do that and trying to do that and I, I tried 25 times until I realized oh I go and I turn on the TV and the masseuse can't make his phone call and so he has to go to a more private location where it's very easy to take him out um but uh, particularly the Bangkok oh. sniper, yeah. So there's little things like that. Yeah, because I actually, yeah, I actually, <laughs> that's one of the points that I must have reloaded about 20 times in that room, and I, I did it eventually, but it definitely wasn't elegant. Right, so like sometimes I think that the hand-holding can, can sort of shut down some of the more creative avenues that your brain can come up with. And a lot of times I'd find that where mm-hmm. I'd, I'd just be battering my head against the wall where suddenly I was like, oh, there's like another item in this room. Let's see what this does. And like a little experimentation would make things a lot easier. Um, and that's part of the danger with like handholding is that the game tells you there's a right way to do something when actually there's a better way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But but the Bangkok thing, I, I you know, I, I got in this awesome position. It was actually one of my favorite experiences with the game because I'm in this one tower and the rock star is in the other tower and he's crossing in front of the windows and I sneak in, and I choke out, you know, I snuggle a bunch of the service people to sleep, and you know, stuff them in a, <laughs> stuff them in a bin. Well, there was no bin, so I kept having to drag them by their legs up the stairs, and the foley effect of their, you know, big melon heads thumping against each stair on yep. the way up is just fantastic. Um, and you know, I get up to the second floor, and there's like a stalker who's looking at him through the windows, and I, you know, snuggle him to sleep, and stuff him in a bathroom, and uh, I managed to. You know, he's just barely... You can only know that he's standing in front of these windows as a result of your map. And he's kind of walking past them. And you can just barely see a shadow under the shade. And I shot him, and I got him headshot. And I'm like, yes! And I went downstairs, and I got spotted, and I had forgotten to save after I, after I killed him. So I had mm-hmm. to start again. I could never replicate that shot. Every other shot that I tried to put through those windows for whatever reason, didn't penetrate the window or missed him or whatever. And I would, you know, shoot my rifle empty and then reload. And it was another thing I did like 20 times. So certain things about the game are very dodgy like that. 
um, that you'll be able to do something and then you'll do the exact same thing again and you'll never be able to replicate that experience. Um, and sometimes I even found this when I reloaded a save and people weren't walking yeah. in the same patterns. Um, so I thought I was safe, but then I'd get spotted immediately. Um, and, uh, and also just some of the, some of the people's walking patterns are just way longer than they need to be. There's this one in Marrakesh where you sort of, mm -hmm. you know, snuggle this woman in the restroom and stuff her in a bin, which I always felt a little weird doing that. Just like, I'm just infiltrating this restroom to assault this woman to get her key card, yeah. you know, uh, but her, her, her cycle is like six minutes. So I'm sitting in this bin waiting for her to, to go to the restroom for six minutes. And, you know, at one point I, I like left and made a sandwich literally just was like, Oh, it's lunchtime. I'll go make <laughs> lunch. Oh crap. She's coming in, yeah. you know, and run back and like do the thing. Uh, so yeah, I feel like some things are not as, as mousetrappy as they should be. And some things are a little too mousetrappy. Yeah. Well, it's gotta be, you know, a, quite a balancing act to to have things be as predictable as they are, but still leave some room for experimentation. And that is a really, I think what was really uh, a good point, uh, Rob, is when you're talking about trying to trying to do something a certain way, and the game's design has kind of dissuaded you from from maybe thinking as creatively as you would have because it typically kind of just outlines things so so cut and dry for you it prefers um, to to simulate creativity rather than let you be creative yourself mm -hmm. right but it does give you some wiggle room for that which you know like like saying the thing like when when rob was saying about trying to to get that shot with a sniper rifle across you know the length of of the environment like th that is something that is maybe creative you know or mm -hmm. or trying to figure out there's three guys in a room and I did this a lot which is probably the worst way to do it but you know th throwing a, uh, a wrench at one person and throwing a pop can at another person and then grabbing the last one uh, which is a tightrope act that I don't think the game necessarily wants you to do but it does allow it to happen um, but yeah it just it seems like a, a style of design that would maybe be impossible to get quite the way that you'd want it so everyone kind of gets everything from it. Um, I mean, every game is going to have the outlier players who like dig into the guts and deconstruct it and essentially break the game and do things that you wouldn't think possible or even the developers wouldn't think are possible. And I've seen enough right. YouTube videos of Hitman of people doing insane things that are just like, all right, like... Yes, technically, basically anything is possible. But within, like, I, I keep trying to think of who the, quote, average Hitman player is and, like, what what their goal is and what they're capable of. Um, and I, I think the conclusion I came to is I'm just a below-average Hitman player, which is fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, but I think that, yeah, it is because the it's so broad in its choices it's going to be a little janky sort of all the time. Yeah. Um, one thing that also that Rob was saying about that, that sniper shot, that is something I kind of wanted to touch upon too, is I think the way that this game depicts violence. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit with, with trying to dig into the tone of the game and talking about why it's funny 
and this ended up being what I what I wrote about for the game is kind of trying to look at why I thought it was really funny to kill people in this game um, when <laughs> if you you know if you think about it a lot of the ways that the the violence that's that takes place in this game is, is not funny but it's it's slapstick in a way that I think is interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was wondering too about kind of what you guys thought about that about the way that you can uh, portray violence in a, in a way that you laugh at it and I was thinking of of Rob talking about this is something I never did with uh, you know trying to kill a target with a sniper rifle which which is very I think just sort of uh, straightforward and almost mundane and I wonder if that's sort of more disturbing I don't know if you guys used guns or the uh, the piano wire much but um, I stayed away from that because it felt like it was sort of untrue to to what the game wanted me to do um so I know that's a really broad question, but I was just wondering, you know, maybe we'll start with Rob, kind of, kind of what you thought about that. If if any of the violence seemed to actually have any kind of impact on you, or if it was just too kind of silly to to ever consider seriously. So I, the thing that bothered me about Blood Money was partially, I mean, it was a very violent game in that even the way that you knock people out you know, was to take them hostage and then hit them with your pistol. Um, and, mm. you know, things like Wow, that. really? Yeah, you could, you could you know, grab them from behind and knock them on the back of the head with a, with a pistol, but, or, you know, knock them out with something. I mean, I didn't even really use wrenches and crowbars a lot in this game. Like, I tended to, uh, I tended to use, you know, submission holds and stuff like that. Uh, and... It wasn't necessarily the violence against the targets that bothered me so much in Blood Money. It was just sort of the nastiness of, you know, grabbing some poor waiter. And, you know, I, I, I know that it's certainly not a lot of fun to be choked out, but it feels a little bit different than, you know, whacking someone in the back of the head with a crowbar. Um, right. So... A soft violence versus hard violence, if you will. Right, yeah. Um and so and the other you know the other side of it is i do not play hitman games to shoot people you know it's specifically mm-hmm. a series that i don't get excited about wow i'm going to use guns you know it's not like a if i if i see a new hitman game is coming out i'm not going to be searching like what kind of guns i'm going to be using you know i sort of just did right. that sniper rifle thing as a it just is an experiment. See, like, how, how different is this game when I'm trying to do something that it's not holding my hand to do? Um, and I enjoyed it because it, it made me a little more sort of conscious of what I was doing. And, you know, I, I did have to do a few emergency chokeouts uh, to people who walked in on me. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the game has some different modes that sort of encourage that. Like... The elusive targets, which I hate, by the way. Uh, so it's this, it's this mode in the game where these targets are only available for a certain number of days, uh, or a certain number of hours, and you cannot save, you cannot reload, you uh, only have one chance. Like if you fail, you fail. And why I didn't like that was one, it um, breaks the rules of the game in that the targets are not highlighted in red. So the first one I played, I looked for 
the woman I was supposed to kill for 40 minutes before finding her because I was using instinct vision and and she's just another gray person walking around, you know? Um, yeah, and, and the game teaches you to, to rely on that, you know? Exactly. And, uh, and, you know, whenever she would walk out of my line of vision while I was trying to, like, get in a high-up position, I would lose her again and I'd have to go back down and find her, you know? And you're risking exposure all the time because if, if you get caught once, you... You know, you have to knock that person out and hope that they don't call for help. And what kills me about it is, you know, I could have shot her at any time, but it just didn't seem right to just, you know, walk up to this woman in, in the souk in Marrakesh and just, you know, blow her head off and then run away towards an exit. <laughs> Even though that is logically the thing I should have done, you know, I'm trying to get up on a rooftop and shoot a sign so it falls down on her. And, um, you know, <laughs> as a result, I get caught and then I end up getting into a big gunfight and having to stash all these bodies. And, you know, the guards just keep coming and coming and coming. And I can't find her in the crowd below anymore because I'm, you know, trying to have this gunfight on the rooftop while I'm waiting for her to walk under the stupid sign. And, you know, the whole time I'm like, I should have just shot her. I should have just shot her and ran towards an exit. Um, I hope you learned your lesson. Exactly. And I'm like, I'm never, I'm never playing one of these again. <laughs> like I'm, this is, this is not what I want to do in a Hitman game. Um, and I'm not a high enough level player to, to get the enjoyment out of this. Um, so yeah, I, I, I feel like the violence is a little softer, even when the really violent kills where you're crushing people under chandeliers and stuff, like you don't see big pools of blood, uh, which you did in blood yep. money. I, specifically tried this you know limited you know time challenge mission in the bangkok thing where you're supposed to like dress like a bellboy and kill people with a cleaver uh it was a thing for october uh to sort of play off the halloween thing and that was kind of fun i didn't really understand it but you know even then like i killed the first person and they're lying there in a pool of blood and i'm like this doesn't feel that good um right it it, it, it was yeah. sort of fun in in a halloween sense but I also didn't understand they had to be targets and you sort of had to do it through a contract mode because, anyway. Um, it, it, it was a lot deeper investment than I was prepared for, let's put it that way. But, yeah, I think the, the way the mainline players will play the game is a lot more kind of soft violence Agatha Christie kills. Um, and I like that. Like, I appreciate that. Yeah, that, that's a... Uh, Agatha Christie kills is a is a good way to put it. I think... I thought a lot of, of, you know, sort of Three Stooges stuff. Of, uh, you could even, I mean, we were talking about Bond before. You could even give it the, uh, the Bond thing where, uh, if someone's getting shot, you're in pre-Daniel Craig Bond, you weren't seeing someone lying there bleeding to death. You were, you were seeing them fall over a, a banister or something, screaming. Right. Um. Uh. Yeah. I think the game, what you were saying, Rob, it does seem like the designers are working pretty hard to make sure that you're not going to do things that are that are violent in a way that the game uh, would have to take more seriously. You know, th things with the guns. I, I tried just to uh, just to see what it, what it would be like in the game to uh, shoot one of the rifles and you know just kill the target and run away. And it does feel hollow. Um, it. it doesn't feel like you're holding up your end of the bargain kind of in the game you know the game i think makes it very clear that it's it's creators have spent all this time giving you all these toys to play with and if you just kind of wait with a silence pistol and shoot your target and run for the exit 
uh, it, it feels like you're doing you're doing some kind of disservice. Sort of like if you were a developer showing the game off to somebody and they just kind of grabbed a rifle and shot the target. You'd be like, wait, wait, no, you're sub. Oh, oh, okay. Well, yeah, you'd, you'd be like, what are you doing? We, you know, we spent is, all this time. Which is so odd to me because again, my experience with the series stops at Silent Assassin prior to this game, and at that point in the series, they hadn't quite figured that out yet. The first game, especially, mm. is is incredibly violent. Um, in fact, there's one that I think that game even predates the ability to non-lethally subdue people. Um, mm. There's one mission toward the end where you're at a uh, at like a, a shipyard and you're sneaking around trying to get to your target, and you just kind of walk around and slit people's throats like to clear a path for yourself. Like it's it's pretty significant. And even like the the second mission, I believe in Silent Assassin, you assassinate like a a Russian general just by shooting him with a sniper rifle through a window, um, and that's kind of like the the modus operandi for most of that game. So to go from that to really elaborate sort of Rube Goldberg machines, I thought was was really cool, um, but it also it had the secondary effect of I did I didn't really view a lot of what was happening in this game as violence. It, they were more sort of like me solving puzzles. Yeah, yeah. Well, in Silent, yeah, As- it definitely. Sorry, Silent Assassin oh, sorry, also kind of like it's where these sort of kills started. Like that's the one where you first do the fugu, uh, the the yeah, improperly yep, yep, yep. prepared mm-hmm. sushi. But also that's oh my god, the Japan section of that game is just horrible and needs to never happen again. <laughs> See, I, I remember it very nicely, but all I remember is is that I finally got that kill, and it was so satisfying. But um, right, yeah. I, I like that Hitman games tend to circle back on themselves a lot. So, like that sniper mm-hmm. mission in Silent Assassin, there's a later one where you're supposed to do the same thing, and it turns out to be a trap, and you're firing directly into a bulletproofed window. Um, hmm. And this one has a similar one in that it, you know, you take the place of this model. And then in Hokkaido, you run into a guy who is getting reconstructive surgery, so he looks like that model, and he thinks that you're another person who has stolen his idea. And it's a great way yeah. to get him to like start an argument with you, and then he follows you into the toilet, and you choke him out, you know, and put him in a cupboard, <laughs> and put on his clothes and his bandages, so everyone thinks that you're him after the bandages get unwrapped. It's so, yeah, the, I like it as that circular thing sorry i got a a little bit off uh, on a tangent no i mean it, it does seem to me that this game in particular is it seems to strike that balance of being self-referential without being fucking obnoxious about it <laughs> that's that's very true <laughs> uh it, i think this game could very easily have been uh like, like i said before it does seem like 47 is kind of winking at you but he's not winking and and doing a little jig and you know <laughs> he's not uh the game doesn't doesn't try to communicate i think how clever it thinks it's being you know and some of that stuff too is like those cutscenes, which i think we all agreed are are kind of funny in how how uh overly dramatic kind of melodramatic they are um i think it's part of that you know the game isn't isn't presenting itself all the time as this desperate comedy it's just saying this is what's going on um laugh at it if you think it's funny i mean it's again you're making the game almost exclusively about murder um i think you kind of have to give yourself a little bit of a a buffer tonally or else you're just it's just going to be so dour and depressing well yeah and i was 
talking about that in in again in the the article I wrote for Bullet Points too about I think if you did this game differently and I think Absolution is kind of the closest there is to this style of design uh, but this Hitman extends the kind of planning phase and and kind of you know sneaking around trying to get everything just right in your perfect assassination that you know involves 15 different steps uh, I think if you were doing that and the game was serious about itself it would be honestly you know kind of upsetting to to be inhabiting this character who is who is so clinical and so uh, obsessive about setting up these elaborate kills mm-hmm. um, if the game's not kind of laughing with you then it gets really really dark really quickly and you know while we're back on tone I just want to bring something up that um, no one's mentioned yet which is one of the things that well I'll, I'll balance this with a little bit of criticism or a little bit of a sort of a thumbs up thumbs down thing but one of the things I really liked is that there were a lot of stereotypes uh, about other countries that were not included in this game um, you know when you go to Italy like not everyone has these ridiculous Italian accents um, <laughs> and when you're in Bangkok there's no sort of part of the mission that involves prostitution or you know a lot, right, a lot yeah. of the things people kind of stereoty- stereotypically associate with Thailand um, and you know that stuff is a part of Thailand but there is also this other side of Thailand you know where uh, you do have these high end kind of spa resort hotels um, and that look you know very much like the one in this game um, they did a, a pretty good job of visually uh, creating a space that may not be realistic but kind of invokes a certain amount of, of realism um, you know I think it, it's not an accident that a lot of these places are tourist destinations that are populated by a, a lot of white people you're not you're not really hobnobbing with the local population uh, a whole lot um, but you know mm-hmm. on the other hand it does sort of bother me that all of the voice actors in this game sound like I'm really bad with I'm from Hawaii so I'm really bad with mainland US accents but like sound like they're from California you know I noticed that as well even the people who are meant to be quote native to wherever you are right all have American accents yeah and I don't know if that's necessarily I don't know if it would bother me more or less if they had some kind of fake Thai accent um, like you know games freak and movies frequently do you know it, you can kind of get around it and think like, well, maybe 47 is multilingual and we're just, you know, hearing this filtered through his own brain. Uh, but I like that interpretation a lot. Actually. Yeah, but, it, you know, the fact that everyone sounds like these obnoxious, self-obsessed Americans uh, did break it for me pretty often. I did think it was funny when, in again, in the, the Paris mission, uh, one of the opportunities you can do is eavesdrop on a meeting between your target and a, I think he's a member of the KGB or like a fictitious KGB equivalent, mm-hmm. and he he sounds like he's from like New York, um, and and he's supposed to be like a fairly high-ranking Russian official, and he does not sound like it at he's all. He's under deep cover, Patrick. Deep, deep cover. Oh, that might. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just, That's true. I, not a high enough security clearance to have known that. <laughs> yeah, I'm always of two minds about that. I, because on the other hand, too, I always find it deeply, deeply silly when you have 
I don't know, let's say uh, a Russian character in something and they're speaking English with a Russian accent, you know? And mm-hmm. they're in Russia and that's how they're speaking to each other. Um, that's one of the things that's kind of like a pet peeve with a lot of stuff and you can almost excuse it more in games that people wouldn't want to read subtitles because they're paying attention to other things on the screen. Right. Um, but yeah, there really is no other way I think to uh, so quickly pull people out of, of feeling like they're in a, a different like a foreign location than everyone speaking especially in this case American accented English Well, I, if uh, I had to guess which I do um, I would guess they, they just assume like they just decide to lampshade it like we have other things to worry about um, this is a simple solution that might not be the most elegant but it is the easiest to implement and it works fine well absolutely and you know part of the sort of story behind this game is it was made a little bit on a shoestring uh you know that that they were going to be focusing on other games and then there was some financial problems from what i understand they said well we're just gonna handle the next hitman in-house and we're gonna release it episodically to make you know make uh keep us in the black and you know probably they they just decided that that was an area where they could skimp a little bit um mm-hmm. i my, yeah. my only thing about it is that so much of this game is about listening to conversations and listening to people talk to learn about what you're supposed to do next um, or learn information about the environment. And uh, I, I did find it a little bit disappointing because, you know, it, it language is so much a part of culture. And this game, like a lot of games, became very much about foreign location rather than foreign culture. Like, there's not a lot of interest in mm. people. Um, which, again, like, yes. may be a good thing if the whole point of this game is that you're probably going to p- kill some of these people, you know? Uh, you feel less weird about it if they're a little bit more of a stock character. So it, it, it I think it does kind of play into the tone a little bit, but I don't know. It was something that was kind of an ongoing issue for me that I, I winced a few times. There's also That's... something to be said about the fact that if when you're among the super wealthy and super elite, um, you can travel to Thailand or to Japan, and you're essentially just an American in those places um, because you have enough money to just make yourself comfortable wherever you are. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. Uh, yeah. I. I think what you said, Rob, is very true. Though about games have a very unfortunate habit of of looking at other countries uh, and and other cultures as, as set dressing rather than, you know, attempting to understand um, the, the different aspects that go into into places. Like, you know, a Thai uh, person working at that resort is not going to maybe even think the exact same way as, you know, this Americanized uh, Thai person is thinking, right? You culture influences your you know on a very fundamental level influences how you look at the world how you how you think about different things and yeah it is it is kind of disappointing um when everyone just becomes this flat baseline kind of american character and the implication that everyone is sort of the same american character across the world um but yeah that also does seem like a a problem that is Again, like some of the gameplay stuff, some of the design stuff, just very difficult to solve. 
but I would rather if they and I, and I think they are going to make more of these um, from what I know I'd rather they kind of stick their hands in the, in the muck of that and uh, mm-hmm. even if they're <clears throat> even if there's going to be bad implications about being uh, this <clears throat> this American going to different countries and and choking out menial workers uh, <laughs> at a resort I'd rather them you know look at that I, I think they did a good thing with uh, with some class issues in this game and kind of digging into w- without being overt about it and not hitting you over the head with it I think they <clears throat> they, they said I think some... you mean uh, choking you out about it <laughs> yeah they didn't garrot you with it um, <clears throat> I, I think they they showed that they're they can communicate some of that stuff pretty intelligently and if they want to keep going on this path and, and I think they should with kind of the globe trotting adventures of 47 then uh, why not dig into some of the cultural implications yeah, and, and another thing I'd like to see them do in future installments is, and they, they did this with some missions and not others, uh, I'd really like to see more of what makes each place geographically distinct. So, like, Bangkok is called uh, the Venice of the East for a reason. You know, it's absolutely full of rivers and canals, and, you know, there's a lot of mm-hmm. river traffic. And they do, you know, have it on a, a, a giant river which is cool um but you know that doesn't really factor into the level a lot however uh sapienza is completely built around the fact that it's on the amalfi coast and these are big cliffs and you know there's sea caves and i really really enjoy that aspect of it and you know i'd I'd be really interested to play uh future missions that have something to do with how that city is structured, you know, one in Hong Kong that involves like lots of towers um, and, right. you know, bamboo scaffolding or uh, something in Delhi or mainland China where, you know, you probably don't want to do mainland China uh, because they tend to not like uh, games that portray the country, negative things about the country. But, um, you know, like a level in Delhi where there's just really, really thick smog and that has a uh, an effect on how easy it is to camouflage yourself or sneak around um it i'd be really interested in seeing kind of more regional variations and and how that affects gameplay yeah and and i think if they as as i believe they have kind of taken cues from from bond movies uh that's something i think bond has actually uh always been keyed into it seems like they think of what would be an interesting sort of action set piece or uh and then choose a location based on that um you know uh, trying to think of good examples of that but you have things like like the opening of casino royale mm-hmm. yeah that's, i believe it's casino royale yeah where which, you chase um, that guy through a marketplace yeah yeah and then they're <clears throat> they're going up through these these kind of uh rickety scaffoldings and mm-hmm. and cranes and everything and um, yeah, I, I think if I, I would love them to see, uh, I would love to see them not just kind of rest on the laurels of what they have already done with these games, but do things like that and and you know continue to think about how you can take advantage of of what they've set up here. Yeah, because it is a, I, I think it is a really solid game what they have now, but you can definitely see ways that they could go even further with it. Yeah, or you know somewhere like. Uh... Nepal or Peru, like 
places that are kind of earthquake prone so you can have buildings that are a little bit different like maybe partially fallen apart or you know have some loose loose rubble or you know active construction you could do an amazing hitman in in either Shanghai or Hong Kong just because there's always so much construction all the time that you know it's it's very common yeah. to have like these people in in business suits you know walking through an active construction zone uh so yeah i, I i'd like to see that yeah you could definitely you know drop a, a a load from a crane onto someone in a business suit and a hard hat yeah if you want to think of terrible ways to murder rich people in future hitman games <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I don't know if i i think we covered quite a bit with this game i mm -hmm. there's a, there is a lot to talk about in it, though. It's it's a game that has more going on than I kind of suspected it would when when I first started playing it, and I was very happily surprised by that. Um, so yeah, unless do you guys have anything else that you feel like we missed that you'd like to talk about? He he's because I'm plum out of ideas. He's a man and he hits. I think we covered it. It's That's, true. That is true. Oh wait, Patrick. Uh, didn't you read some Wikipedia thing or something about Agent 47 and his chromosomes? Oh, yes. All right. So the reason he's called Agent 47 is because he is genetically engineered, and the current iteration of the series lore says that he's called 47 because he was the 47th version of this Hitman uh -huh. project that they were making. However, it is revealed in the first Hitman, Codename 47, that when they genetically engineered these, not super soldiers, because they're not soldiers, but super assassins, I guess, um, <laughs> they endowed them, what, what, what gives them their skill at murder is they endowed them with an extra chromosome, which is why he is called Agent 47. <laughs> which, yeah, that's, um, that I think is something that we have to, I, I would like to like compile at some point a list of video game pseudoscience I, I was about you to know, say I just I, I that I think it's amazing that they very quickly realized what they had done and moved to retcon <laughs> as quickly as possible and that that's why I wanted to bring it up too because I I think uh we can't let that fall into the background when people talk about hitman I think it's <laughs> it's very important to remember what makes hitman hitman <laughs> that's that's some amazing late nineties X Files pseudoscience. That's uh that's just oh, fantastic. Yeah, I love that. It's uh that is up there uh for me now with uh Metal Gear Solid and the cloning techniques and, and solid nano snakes. machines and Well, even besides that, but uh the two brothers in it, the clones, Liquid and Solid, Liquid is the flawed brother because he got the mm -hmm. recessive genes. <laughs> which, <laughs> which uh is i think just a fantastic like the same as this chromosome thing of just kind of like i'm not a scientist like by any means but just kind of glancing at some at some science paragraphs and being like oh okay yeah i get it <laughs> it's yeah it's, it's like they picked up like a 10th grade science book and like they they skimmed the chapter on like a board and they're like all right we're good here yeah we, got what we came for <laughs> hey, hey, you could you could write a really interesting article about um, sort of the sexuality of uh, forty seven and sort of gender stuff in him because he's a super good looking video game protagonist for you know he is they don't usually yeah. in a very kind of unusual way and they 
pur purposely, I think, made him more handsome for this uh, particular installment. They you mentioned it, cheese it on too. those cheekbones. Right. Yeah, and like I, I love the fact that they're you know make reference to the fact that he looks like a movie star, you know, and like if you look at pictures of hitmen, they're they're kind of you know big mob types. Like they tend not to be very good looking, and uh, I just love that everyone's forgetting about this you know incredibly hot guy that came walking through the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, has he has he ever been like? any kind of sexual entity in any of the hitman no, games. No, he is I think part of his genetic engineering is he is this is not lore, this is me speculating. <laughs> okay. Uh, he he is like completely asexual. Yeah, he can only think about murder. He can only think about the ending of life, not the beginning of it. That's I like that. That's very poetic read. That is poetic. So yeah, so we gotta end this, right? Yep. So the three of us can Let's get to work it. writing our hitman novelization. <laughs> <laughs> Rob's going to write, uh, if you could get 3,000 words emailed over to me tomorrow about Hitman's cheekbones. Yes. And, <laughs> and Patrick's going to dig up his old grade 10 science textbook. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on Hitman's chromosomes, don't worry. And then uh, I'm just going to put my name somewhere on it and, and get some of those sweet Hitman tie-in novel royalties. That article will be titled I am, I, Cliffs I, of Dover, 47's Cheekbones. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I'm looking forward to like the the Tumblr shipping community getting their hands on the Hitman games, but I think Rob, after that bombshell, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's anything else that can be said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. So it's true we didn't cover everything, but I think now we have. Yeah, you there know, we go. It's, <laughs> it's good that we circled back and made sure we didn't we didn't forget these last crucial tidbits. Um. So yeah, so this has been this has been this episode on Hitman. Um, again, if you are interested in in uh, what we've been talking about, and also Ed, who is not here, uh, also wrote an article. But the entire month of December on Bullet Points Monthly uh, consists of articles about this Hitman game, um, including, of course, Rob wrote a the guest article for this month. Um, so that's going to do it, I think. Uh, as always, yeah, go to Bullet Points Monthly, keep listening to our stuff and sharing it. That's always good. We love when you share our stuff. That makes us happy. Uh, and we also have the Patreon that is vital to keeping this uh, vastly expensive operation going. Uh, you know, we have to fill Patrick's baths before he gets on for the podcast with champagne every time or else he just refuses to speak um, look it's winter and my skin needs it yeah god love him he's a fancy fancy boy who <laughs> needs a champagne bath uh, so yeah uh, patreon.com slash bullet points monthly or just bullet points I believe it's just slash bullet points yeah yeah I think it is um, to, to, to keep Patrick in champagne uh, and that's going to do it um, so you can find me on twitter at Reed McCarter. And Patrick, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter uh, at HonFreakinSolo. And Rob, our guest, uh, stuff you want to point out for people to read or, or anything else and where they can find you? I'm on Twitter at RobWritesPulp. You can find Critical Intel at Waypoint. It's uh, games and reality and history and politics and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Yeah, I, I will just editorialize briefly and say that Rob's uh, critical intel is is one of my favorite 
recurring columns in, in games. It's been around for quite a while, and I think every time a new one comes up, it's always worth reading. You will yeah, it's very, very good stuff. Oh, yeah. thanks, guys. You will learn things, and you'll think differently about different video games, and yeah, it's always a joy to read, so I highly recommend checking that out. Um, and I think that's going to do it, right? Right, Patrick? Yep. On that On that bombshell? On that bombshell. On that bombshell, uh, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, Rob, thanks again so much for coming on uh, and talking Hitman with us. And until next time, we are Bullet Points. <laughs> <laughs>